Sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. And I am feeling especially good today because I am not flying solo this time. God, that's hard work. It's it's so much better when you got somebody else along doing all the heavy lifting. And he's back, Aaron Porter. Uh, I don't know. Are, are, <laughs> uh, do you feel like doing any heavy lifting? I, I'm imagining not. Sure. <laughs> so uh, for those who may not know, if you hadn't heard the previous episode, Aaron did manage to contract the plague, uh, came down. Has it been two weeks, two and a half weeks? When did, almost, when it's, did about, the, it's about three weeks now. Three weeks now. Yeah. You started feeling crappy thinking, well, you know, it's the flu, it's something. And then, and, and then, then you I, lost, then I, then I lost my taste buds and smell. Yeah. I'm like, well, that was kind of the well, signal. Shit. Like, oh, <laughs> oh, and it, and it was not a cakewalk, was it? No, it was really crappy. I didn't enjoy it at all and uh yeah. was was concerned with uh i don't know it was a week and a half of pretty high fever where uh yeah. nurse nurse was concerned with my organs shutting down stuff like that yeah whatever yeah whatever yeah i'm fine it's good it's good to be back <laughs> hello man there were, a- <laughs> there were a lot of us concerned for you and and not at all i have to tell you aaron Although you told me that if it got really bad, you would go to the hospital, you I had a hard me. time believing you. No. <laughs> yeah. No, I was, I mean, I was, I was serious. I was serious yeah. about it. I mean, I was mostly monitoring. I'm going to drink three liters of water a day. I'm going to have uh-huh. some Gatorade and I'm going to have the Pedialyte. I'm, yeah. I'm going to try because I, I got that sickness. I mean, geez, I'm sure it was on past episodes. Five years ago, I, I got that weird virus, which oh, was sure. The Rocky Mountain spotted fever or whatever. The, I, the I don't remember yeah. what I never knew what it was called, but I was in bed for three months. It was horrible. Uh, and yeah. so each year I've either got pneumonia or almost got pneumonia because of this I don't know, scarring yeah. of my lungs and stuff. Yeah. That, so yeah. I was, I was very much watching and I was talking to a nurse friend who basically said, mm-hmm. okay, let's keep talking about your breathing. Nope. You're, they're just going to yeah. send you home from the hospital if you can still breathe and make you do what you're already doing, which is right, stay yeah. hydrated. And so yeah. I, I was, I was taking it seriously, but I know you and you and many other friends were, were very gloom and doom. Like, you know, you're, well, you're making me paranoid. Well, I felt helpless. I'm, I'm, I'm 600 miles away from you now. And, uh, yeah, so there was nothing physically I could do. And, and also to kind of conduct a personal inspection and maybe, you know, physical or something so that I could satisfy myself that you were going to survive. Anyway, I'm so, I'm you glad sent, you sent me a hamburger. That was my, <laughs> that was my first real meal. I was eating about, oh, no. I don't know, two to 300 calories a day. I lost 15 pounds in 10 Did days. Really? Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm gaining them back, but you sent me my first hamburger 
And I was, that was like, oh, because I was sitting here eating beef jerky and fig Newtons (laughs) and bananas for like two weeks. I was so sick of it. It was horrible. Yeah. Yeah. So that that hamburger was amazing. I thought I was going to get so sick after that. And I I didn't. Uh, I kept thinking, just eat it slowly. And I just, I scarfed that thing down. (laughs) <laughs> bolted it huh oh my gosh it was it was so yeah. great to have something besides beef jerky i don't think i'm going to eat beef jerky for years <laughs> well so you uh, are coming back soon i mean you've I'm been coming gone. back you must be missing home you've been gone a I am long homesick. time aaron i am homesick i'm marooned in florida uh, and that's 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 very treasure. Well, and and even 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 the wonderful weather is now uh, deserted me. We did had we had gorgeous weather the, over the weekend. Yesterday it was seventy two degrees and sunny, and I was on the beach with the grandkids and the dog, and it was fantastic. Today, some kind of uh, this, I guess it must be related to the same system that's delivering record snows in the Northeast. Uh, the mercury is plunging it's going to be close to freezing tonight here uh the wind is up uh knocked the cable out much to Allie's dismay uh so she can't be netflixing while i'm recording this episode um but yeah and i've i'm out of my routine i miss my friends i miss my familiar sights i miss my familiar roots uh I am establishing some new routines, but it's hard to do it when I know I'm only here temporarily. Yeah. And, and I also have this, uh, you know, very resilient and stubborn addict part of me that keeps whispering, you're on vacation. You know, you, (laughs) it's hard to maintain daily disciplines, disciplines when you're on vacation. Well, especially uh, when your vacation's like two months. That's like oh, not a vacation. That's a whole new life. Not. I want to get home and get back to work. I've been able to do some work while I'm here, but it's not the same as being in Franklin. So, uh, so yeah, I kind of, I, I let the drinking go too far, Aaron. Uh, again, I mean, I, I didn't get drunk, but I just, uh, it's, yeah, I drank too consistently and too much. So, uh, you know, well, well you should get that. COVID because that makes drinking seem just really disgusting. <laughs> okay. Maybe that's the cure. Yeah. Get some COVID, drink a lot of water. It's fantastic. <laughs> hey, um, we have got an excellent guest this week, a guy who is, uh, not only knowledgeable and articulate and wise because he is wise not only in the ways of the Christian faith, but in the ways of recovery. Um, and Canadian. And Canadian. On top wise of in the Canadian yeah. ways. It is an enlightening and inspiring and comforting and challenging conversation. Listeners, Boy, you're going to love this when we come back on the Pirate Monk Podcast.
And welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. We are so privileged to have with us as our guest this week, uh, none other than the Dean of Theology and Culture at St. Stephen's University, somewhere in the frozen north of Canada. Uh, actually, the Reverend Dr. Bradley Jerzak. Brad Jerzak, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Good to be with you. I'm, I just want to know, theology and culture, that yeah. sounds like, you know, explain the triune God while holding a teacup with your little pinky out. What is theology and culture? Yeah, good question. Well, it is a place to discuss thoughts about God in relationship to issues in our culture. So, uh, where where theology and the and let's say the culture wars would intersect. That would sounds like a, that sounds like a dangerous minefield at this point yeah. in human history. Yeah, it is. And so one of the things we love to model is getting let's say twelve or sixteen people around a table who range from um, let's say uh, right wing conservative Republicans to left wing progressives who are <laughs> uh, gays, lesbians, and and whatever. And yeah. that we can hold difference in a conversation and develop relationships um, over dinner afterwards. And so what happens is we get people together who have left their echo chamber and become mm -hmm. dear friends who have to learn how. To, so we use that expression to hold difference. It's very similar to the kind of range of people you'll get, let's say, politically in a 12 step meeting. Because yeah. uh, there's more important concerns than, but but we get to talk about those concerns, and it is a stretch for people, but they love it because they've never experienced that before. All know? right, pause, Nate. I have no idea what you're hoping Brad will talk oh. about, but I don't want to move oh. past this just yet. <laughs> uh, All right, okay, I, Brad. We've talked about how when when people have their core uh, ideologies challenged, they, they go to their amygdala and go to that fight or flight response. How yeah. do you bring people to a conversation in a shared space where they walk away and want to have dinner with each other when it seems like the rest of the world uh, enters into those conversations and walks away trying to recruit more people to their side and uh, possibly lower the number of the opposition? Yeah, well, I guess how to do that is, that's a big question, but if I could distill it a little bit, maybe it's not starting with the differences and then heading to dinner. Maybe it is tricking people into liking each other before they find out how different they are. <laughs> um, so that's part of it. And then the other is I come at it straight on. So what I do, I teach a, one of my courses, I'm, I'm teaching it, uh, I just finished teaching it, called uh, Beyond Spectrum Ideology. And what I do in that course is I, I identify the left-right progressive conservative spectrum as the world system that hates love. And that the entire spectrum is problematic because it creates us-them exclusion scenarios. And I call them to move beyond that into, uh, into sort of a love-your-neighbor dynamic that we see in, you know, in Jesus. I, I you know? love that, but people buy that? 
Oh no, they don't get it at all half the time. But at least um, <laughs> um, what it does is it lays ground rules for them that that the other person gets to share their point of view. They don't get to silence them from the, or exclude them from the table because it's my table in a sense. But the result is that um, at some point, you know, the course is long enough that they develop a degree of empathy because they hear each other's stories. And then this comes mm-hmm. out, let's say, at the dinner table afterwards where suddenly they realize this doesn't, person doesn't just have a different idea for me. This person has a family and this they're person, heartbroken this, their kids this, are having a divorce or whatever, right? This, right? this yeah. person is a person. Yes, it's so yeah. humanizing in that sense. And this is the problem of Zoom right now. We are able to continue the courses on Zoom, but what happens is we'll share in class and then they exit the Zoom room and they don't get to have the dinner together. So yeah. um, it, it's not as effective, but at least they're, at least they're he- seeing faces that they would never see in their echo chamber in social media, for example. So there, we have a, we could call it the alternative algorithm <laughs> that throws <laughs> people of difference together into wow. very interesting conversations. Wow. Well, all right, wow. Nate, go ahead with whatever this interview was supposed to be. Thank you for indulging me, Brad. I like you. It's good. <laughs> I it's like good you stuff. back. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Well, well, Brad, you know, you are an author, and a speaker, uh, a professor, uh, a Canadian, a former pastor, and and on top of all that, uh, a, a a veteran of twelve step, an addict in recovery, yeah, and a Christian, yeah. So, I, so here's what I I have been dying to ask you: How did you, I, I'm assuming? How long have you been? In, when did you first go into the rooms? Um, for myself, uh, yeah, uh, twelve years ago. Okay, okay. So you were a Christian before you went into the rooms. Yep. And you were uh, a Christian afterwards. All right, uh, a much better one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, how did your uh, understanding uh, and experience of the Christian faith change when you entered recovery? Well, there was actually a few things happening simultaneously that were of great help, and recovery was one of them. So I'll mm-hmm. just let me think about how to put this. So 2008, I went through a big crash in terms mm-hmm. of just a series of tragedies in our church that left me just losing my faith. Um, well, wow. I, I, I still clung to God, but I, I couldn't see how anything worked, and I despaired. Um, that worked out as a management addiction, trying to... Mm-hmm hold a church together that I couldn't hold together and that God was not willing to hold together. So <laughs> that when, when you try to do that yourself, it's called Messiah complex. And yeah. happily, um, happily, uh, I did not have the soul strength to sustain that more than a few months before, before I was not functional really. Um, mm. In addition to that, then I, I, I started acting out in in what I would call a love addiction, where I had a bo- I was a bottomless pit for affection that mm-hmm. my craver could not be satisfied in that way, and it caused yeah. me to break boundaries in friendships that really hurt people. And yeah. um, happily, I was I was out of the uh, I was out of the pastoral chair by the time I I, I really sunk. Uh, I was just about ready to do myself in in January two thousand nine and. And wow. that's so 
Hey, hey, Brad, so would you, would when you, pause, I the rooms. Would you yeah. pause on this? Because I know uh, a lot of folks that struggle with sex addiction, porn addiction, and they don't understand the difference between love addiction, uh, what you're describing. Can you give a little bit more for those that maybe don't understand the difference? Sure. Um, so with sex addiction, my understanding is that there is a compulsive and uh, there's, there's a compulsion, compulsion towards acting out in sex. To use sex as sort of self-medication for whatever pain is underneath. Uh, and so that looks like anything from porn addiction to affairs or, or um, you know, you name it, uh, prostitution and all of that. Uh, with love addiction, it may or may not go there, but the the thing that you're craving so badly is affection itself, and this this roots to some kind of attachment issues or whatever. And so, in the in the rooms, they call it you know my addict. Well, another way of talking about your addict is your craver. And so, so whereas my I think every human heart does need to feel loved. And when a, when, when a human heart feels love, it is filled up. But the ego mm. or the craver cannot be filled up. It's a black hole. And so it's groping for affection from wherever. And that can happen. Um, here's the tragic thing for me is where, on the one hand, let's say, okay, it's, it's awful if we end up you know, going to some for anonymous sex that's dangerous with some prostitute. The problem with a love addiction is when you act out, it's it, it's with friends who your behavior destroys by, you know, kind of they end up having to manage healthy boundaries, and that's not fair to them. And so, I, you know, I ruined some really good friendships that way. And it's just a question, how, how far will they let you go in breaking the boundaries? But it's clear that it's acting out. So that's kind of how I see love addiction. Okay. Wow. Thanks. Yeah. So any back, anyway, back on track to the story. Oh yeah. So, so that was one thing, right? Um, so yeah. Um, what I discovered in, in the program was a, was a God who is all merciful and never condemning at the mm. same time I was coming out of, you know, on the tail end of evangelicalism, although I'd processed a lot of that already, that God is not retributive. And it just so happened that I got a mentor in the Eastern Orthodox Church. Mm. And in in the Eastern Orthodox Church, it's the same thing. There is no retribution in the nature of God. God is all merciful. And so in in our liturgical services, we'll, we'll actually proclaim the mercy of God or say that he's merciful 154 times in a two hour service. So that's more than once a minute. You're being reminded that that's your grid. And then I would go to confession and instead of it being about guilt of my sin, um, the, the, the old Bishop, he's like, he was like Gandalf, but more like jolly, maybe closer to Santa. Um, (laughs) and, and he, so confession with him looked like this. It was very much like going to my sponsor uh, but it was not like, what did you do wrong? How did you act out? Or even, you know, what sin do you want to confess? It, he would ask this question, what's troubling you? And he said, because beneath whatever behaviors you're, you're expressing your pain in, beneath that is pain. It's, you're, you're, there's something troubling you. And that 
And um, so let's say if I stumble in some way, um, mm-hmm. then my conscience accuses me. And when my conscience accuses me, I feel shame and I want to go hide. And so confession is about the priest saying, don't go hide. You've already been forgiven. The yeah. important thing to remember is you don't need to go hide. Come back as quickly as you can. So even if you'll just pray the prayer, Lord, have mercy. Um, what you're doing is you're reorienting yourself towards the goodness of God. And, and in that way, you don't need to be reconciled to God. That's already taken care of. But yes, you need to be reconciled to your conscience because that conflict is creating this anxiety that just deepens and so anyway, um, so, so can uh, we touch saw, on real quick? Yep. A, a lot of people are going to, you know, they, they grow up mm-hmm. hearing a verse like, uh, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Yeah. And what you're describing is that you don't confess your sins to be forgiven, but you confess your sins because you are forgiven. Yes, and that is a complicated thing for those that, and the idea of confession, mm-hmm. homologeo, to say the same thing as yeah. that I am in agreement with you, God, that this is wrong, but I'm not in agreement, so that you then say, "Oh, good, you agree with me, and now you're forgiven." But oh, yes we are now relationally on the same page. We, we are saying the same thing. And that includes that gospel narrative that you are already yeah. forgiven. So yeah. how does somebody that is stuck in, in the rut of God is against this. And so I have to, I have to confess so that God stops being against me. How, <laughs> right. how, how do you deal with that? Yeah. So here's how I would deal with it. I'll, I'll use some big words, but they I think they're understandable. So one big word is transactional. So that that trouble is we've had a transactional idea, a transaction where I put my money in the slot machine and something comes out. So if I confess, then right. forgiveness comes out. But hang on. Um, uh, Romans 5 says that while we were still sinners, while we were still ignorant, and even while we were still enemies, he already forgave us and reconciled us at the cross. So forgiveness in that sense from God's side is a done deal. Uh, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, the answer was, of course, for you, son, anything. But yeah. Paul goes further than forgiveness. He even says that we were reconciled by his blood in Colossians 1. We're already. So God doesn't need to be reconciled to us. He is forever toward us. And there's this great old saint from a desert father from the fourth century. He said it this way, God no more turns away from the sinner than the sun turns off for the blind man. (laughs) So so from the sun's side, it's still shining even when I'm blind. From God's side, he's still loving and forgiving even when I'm running and hiding in my shame. But... What confession does then is it's my way of turning towards that light so I can enjoy the sunshine, so I can experience the forgiveness. So I, I, 
um, you know, if we were to take First John literally, or or to say it actually, it would be like, well, confess your sins, and if you confess your sins, uh, you will come into the experience of what He has already accomplished yeah. at the cross. Yes. So, so I see that also in twelve step recovery, where the God of twelve step recovery, it's not just the God of my understanding. That's that's entry level. Basically, they're saying this, whatever you understand God to be is not a barrier for his love. You might even think he's a bastard, or you might think he's a light bulb or whatever, but reorienting yourself towards whatever your understanding of God was is enough for the true God to to come into a transforming, a life-changing experience of, uh, of, of, of the God of that is actually in permeates the program who is and i i think of five doctrines of 12 step although they deny they have a doctrine <laughs> here's here's five that god is loving yeah caring forgiving responsive and personal that's in the literature everywhere and what the program is doing is say step 11 when it says through prayer and meditation we sought to improve our conscious contact with god well, what happens is the God of our understanding is transformed into the God who is loving, caring, forgiving, responsive, and personal. And so this is this is what's meant to open up as we continue. Well, that's what was opening up for me in 2009, both through my mm. priest in confession and through the rooms when I would, and in working the steps with my sponsor. And never, never did they say, uh, he's retributive. <laughs> or mm-hmm. that this is transactional. But I will say this, um, it is reciprocal. So reciprocate means when someone loves me first, I love them back. <laughs> and yeah. that, in other words, we're not saying God loves you, so whatever, just do whatever. No, we're right. saying God loves you, so turn towards that love and watch how it could set you free of your addictions or at least put them in remission. I know my craver's in the back room doing push-ups all the time. So I don't know. I avoid the language of cure and all of that. But I would say, I would say, um, I think it's the big book in AA. It says you can, you you know, be free in your, from from a seemingly hopeless state, you know. Mm-hmm. So, well, let's let's put this. I mean, there's there's this combination between this language of recovery yeah. and this language of theology. Yeah, we start with confession and then it moves to repentance, both of which are struggles for many Christians. So confession is not oh you put me in a room like in a law and order episode and got me to admit to something I didn't want to. Right. It was, I, I am in agreement with you and I can't be in agreement without the gospel, which includes the Romans passage you're talking about that God has done everything through Christ to love me perfectly despite my rebellion so uh, to be in agreement with God, I say, yes, I, I, I see it. This is broken, and you love me perfectly. But then that moves to repentance, which I grew up believing that meant 
turn 180 degrees, do something different, where repentance means believe something different, think something different. So yeah, I even want I even want to take it further because we have this Greek word metanoia, and it's yeah. like what what the problem is that uh, I want to talk about how we've oversteered and maybe that the, the recovery gives us a beautiful middle road or straight road, a straight road between two ditches. So the first ditch was when I was a little kid, repentance was ver- virtually self loathing. Yeah, <laughs> this is the time of the week. You know, we'd have communion, and communion, they'd say, "Let a man examine yourselves, so that you don't eat or drink unworthily and get sick and die." Okay, I'm eight yeah. years old, and basically, yeah. what they were saying is, we're going to have a period now here of self-loathing, where the where where the accuser has a green light, and you don't get any. You have to take your shield down, and let the accuser pummel you, and, mm-hmm. so that you can have communion worthily. Well, that kind of and then those who really repented with a lot of tears, I mean, it looked to me like a lot of self-loathing. I don't think that's what he means by repentance. But because some of us, many of us, experience religious PTSD from that, yeah. we, we really rejoice to hear those who, who said, look, at metanoia is not about, it's, it's not about um, self-loathing, it's about changing your mind. Um, I think that's too rational a lens for what the word actually means. So it's the changing of your noose. And if we used, you know, in, in English, it'd be N-O-U-S. And so right. modernists have translated that mind. But the people who used the term in the in ancient days, they had another word for mind. If we're talking about our rational belief systems, I'm, I'm going to change my doctrine now, or I'm going to sign a new statement of faith as if it's all in my head, Right. The noose, here's a beautiful definition that I heard from a a philosopher named Ron Dart. He said, the noose was the organ of the soul that turns toward the overtures of divine love. (laughs) So it was sort of like heart slash mind slash spirit. It was your innermost being reorienting itself towards love. So it's a turning of not just changing my mind, but a turning of uh, of who I of my whole being towards this grace, and so in, let's say in recovery you see this happening. It's um, this reorientation towards let's say not only um, not only towards God, but towards the God who loves me, as opposed to that condemning, um, scary God, the, the monster God of my upbringing. So, so my so my confession is coming to the reality, moving away from denial, saying, yes, I agree, this is harmful, and this is your love, and then that enables me to turn towards that love and grace that is perfect in the person and work of Christ that brings me to the perfect love of the Father. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right to me. It's the God who is love. Now, and, and who's only revealed in my, okay, here's my opinion. <laughs> the, the God who is, who is, is love in his nature. And God only has one nature. It's not love plus anything. Every attribute right. of God is a facet of the one nature, which is love. And in my, from my point of view, that, that God has revealed himself as loving, caring, forgiving, personal, and responsive in the person of Jesus, like no other God ha- has. 
So I'm quite happy to say um, the God of 12-step recovery is Jesus, but he can be, he can come to us there anonymously. <laughs> um, it, because John 1 says that he, he's the true light who came into the world and enlightened everyone. In other, and of course, but we didn't love, we don't like the light or whatever. So I see, I see folks. I would say that when they turn to the God who is those five elements of love, they are turning to Christ, though they may know not not yet know Him under that name. Um, and this, the parallel is Cornelius in the Book of Acts. Before he heard about Jesus, he already had a relationship with God, and God calls him, pre-Christian, calls him a righteous man who's acceptable by God, who has faith practices that God rewards and spiritual experiences that I'm still jealous of, including prophetic words that involved addresses (laughs) and angelic visitations. I mean, this is all before he, he knows Christ. So it's like, but wait a minute. He did know Christ. He just didn't know his name yet. And and um, Peter's conclusion, of course, is not, well, then he doesn't need to hear the gospel. It's like, no, now he's ripe to hear it. Yeah. So um, the problem, though, that I've seen, is this the time to talk about smuggling in something else, Nathan? Um, sure, absolutely. Yeah, let's okay, talk about so, it. So here's what I've experienced. I'll go into the 12-step rooms, and the God they are describing is exactly like Jesus. Then, let's say a Christian comes in <laughs> who feels guilty about talking about higher power. They need everybody's higher power to be Jesus, so they try to Christianize the program. Well, that would be lovely, except for consistently what I see them smuggle in through Jesus, of all people, is transactionalism and retribution. <laughs> I'm like, no, you, you're, de- yeah. you're de-Christianizing the program with your bad Christian doctrine here. So um, I'm I'm more satisfied to say let's all let's all just work with our own concept of our higher power. But and the, the Christians get to say Jesus is my higher power, and the agnostics don't have to say that. And yet we're all praying together to the loving, caring, forgiving, responsive, relational God who is. Jesus Anonymous. So someone even told me Alcoholics Anonymous was actually Methodism Anonymous. Oh, it was. Yes, yes, absolutely. Because yeah. it's, yeah. ab- it's about reorienting your life towards this loving, caring, forgiving God. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and there's a method to that, and it has 12 steps in it. That's kind yeah. of what they yeah. But, but yeah. Brad, shouldn't we be afraid of letting people <laughs> deal with God and God dealing with people. I feel like we can do a better job than God if we just freaking tell people what to think. I, I'm concerned with everything that's being said here. I think <laughs> we need to tell people where they're you're, at. You're, you're describing yeah. my very descent into addiction. <laughs> That's how I got there. <laughs> My best ideas about God led me straight into addiction. <laughs> um, oh, boy, there is a line. There yeah. is a line. Yeah. My so best ideas about God sent me straight into addiction. Yeah. Boy, th- well, th- think right of step down. three, right? We made a decision yeah. to turn our lives and our will. So I think our noose is a good summary of that. Yeah. Our lives That's and right. our will 
to the care, care not the control, them. not the control, the care. So if I think it's about the control, then I'll try to be an agent of control and I'll try to control your concept of God and your your program and all that. But if it's about the care, then it's like, oh, okay, I could do that. And that's actually affected how I do evangelism. People ask, well, how, how do you do evangelism now? I, and I say this, well, I... I, I ask them about how their lives are falling apart and if perhaps they've bottomed out yet and would like to turn their lives and will over to the care of this God who has loved them. And by the way, um, you know, I can introduce them to Jesus at that point, if I'm doing evangelism. Um, yeah. Let's let's pause here because this is, I mean, God. Aaron, you're a pauser. I love it. <laughs> yeah. No, we're not, we're not moving past this yet because Good. this is hard. I, we are not saying that your ideas about God were wrong and needed to be fixed. And so it's so hard when you, when you believe, okay, I I get something about God and somebody else doesn't. Mm -hmm. And there's this deep desire that they would see what I see, but not have to go on the journey I went on to discover that. Like, I, yeah, I just yeah. want them to just arrive if I tell them. Yeah. And it's actually pretty presumptuous of us, of us too, to think we've arrived. So, <laughs> my friend Andrew Clager, he gave me a great illustration of this. And so, I want you to imagine you're in one of the rooms and we're all talking about God, the God of our understanding. And it's like, I'm a toddler with blunt crayons sitting inside my little cardboard box and I'm drawing pictures of God on the panels. Mm-hmm. And then I stand up and I give, I, I see, oh, daddy is, papa's come in the room. I, I'm going to give him this picture of him and he is going to think I nailed it. And he comes to me and I, I pull the panel off of my little cardboard box and it's got this squiggles on it and he his eye his eyes light up and he smiles so much and he gives me a great big hug and affirms me and then he even puts my picture on his fridge and then um, my muslim friend (laughs) stands up from his box and what do you know he's drawn a picture of god too and it's it's horrible i know this because it's not like mine and I see God is turning towards him. And this is now God's great chance to show him that his picture is wrong and mine is right. But to my horror, God smiles at him, hugs him, takes the picture, and puts it on the fridge by mine. Well, and, uh, on, the, on the side of the fridge, not on the front. <laughs> I, would, I would hope that. But no, no. And, and he's giving no indication that he likes mine better. And, and what do I do with this? And then what he does, I have, a, I have a Muslim friend named Safi. I'll use his name for this just to be personal. Um, he, he calls Safi and I to his lap. And he, he says, uh, I love the picture that you've drawn of me. It, I know that you did your very best and that honors me. And I receive it as worship. Um, however, <laughs> If you'd want to see the image, a, a, a really beautiful image of what I really look like, uh, I want you to look at your brother's face. And if you can see me and your brother, and if he can see you, then, then you're getting close 
to the real image of God. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Safi's my brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, but, but he is because we share the same predicament and it would be, he's not an addict, but in the rooms, we all share the same predicament and we need the same grace. And our, the way we would color God as toddlers with our blunt crayons is, is not the issue. And in fact, God would say, here's what, here's what all I ask of you. Stop poking each other in the eyes with your crayons. <laughs> and uh, so that, that helps me dial down um, my sense of that I've arrived and they've not, and I need to indoctrinate them. Um, it, and it, it enlivens my willingness to see them as a brother who bears the image of God in the same predicament as me, asking for the same mercy I have from whatever God actually is. I, and I still firmly believe God is revealed in Jesus Christ. And, um, and not all of the, not all of the brothers do at this point, but I have this feeling that pride, prideful Christians who meet Jesus won't recognize them and humble Muslims who meet Jesus might. So Mm. I I just want to be careful, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it just sounds like you, you're telling the story of C.S. Lewis's The Last Battle, yeah. the, the, the final story of the Chronicles of Narnia, where things unravel in a way that are very uncomfortable for any Christian who wants to actually look at it as more than just C.S. Lewis. And yeah, I think that's a really good example from literature. I mean, it's in Matthew 25 as well, where, where you've got people surprised that they're not getting in and others who are surprised that they are getting in. And the criteria seem to be something other than we, than getting their doctrinal statement. Correct. So, so possibly we should be asking more questions of other people than just telling them what they should think. Yeah, possibly that would really help. (laughs) I'm enjoying doing that myself. And, um, and even just saying, when I really disagree, uh, here's some helpful language, I think, for your listeners. It would be, help me to understand. And, uh, and then you're not in a defensive posture, and you're able to hear a different person's point of view. Um, and, and then you're even allowed to not agree with that point of view, but you've heard it, and perhaps even earned the privilege of sharing what you think after that, you know, you give permission. So you get permission or you might not. Sometimes I just don't even get a turn, but I leave better for it. Yeah. Well, Brad, you're a troublemaker. (laughs) Thanks. Hey, I want to, I want to ask a practical question. We're coming toward the end of our time, but uh, may I, Aaron, would that be all right? (laughs) Um, sure. Go ahead. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. That was a little bit snarky. I'm so glad that you Snarkin' Larkin. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad that you have you have engaged so fully in this conversation, Aaron. You've taken it far deeper than I would have taken it. There yeah, is a question so though. Uh there is a question. Um when I entered the, the rooms of 12-step recovery, there's so many of those phrases that caught me off guard and kind of spun me a little bit. And then I came to cling to them. They brought me some courage and comfort. But I remember one of the most surprising ones was the phrase, progress, not perfection. Um, I, of course, was aiming for perfection because I thought that's what was expected and required of me. 
uh, and when the illusion of and I'm also a quick study. So I understood what I should do long before I was able to start doing it. it even when I began to do things in the right way, uh, I was so awkward and clumsy and still am, by the way. But uh, those early slips were so frequent and the falls were so hard um, uh, that um, that the whole spirit of the rooms where uh, I never was lectured for a failure. I was always encouraged to keep coming and keep coming back, you know, and it works if you work it and just be patient and you, and, and this is progress, not perfection. Uh, becoming content with progress and finding uh, our need for perfection met elsewhere. How did that, did that match at all with your experience? Was that any kind of a, a, a struggle for you or is it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm tracking with you. Um, you know, when we were, in my pre, I don't know what you'd call it, my earlier days, I was always taught that sin was missing the mark. And so, and I thought the mark was perfection. Yeah. But if, if the mark is actually our orientation towards divine love, mm. you, could, you could live a perfectly self-righteous life without being oriented towards that love. Yeah. And in the rooms, you could have regular slips that actually drew you towards divine love so um in in fact many of the guys would say that it was it was their addiction that saved them from themselves from self-will from from being their own savior and um there's a great mystic uh julian of norwich she in, in this sense she talks about even that sin is needful and it's not that and what she meant by this is is it's it's not that sin is good, but it seems to be a nece- our, our slips and stumbles seem to be a necessary component of convincing us that we can't save ourselves. And if you imagine mm. yourself on a cross and crucified with Christ, if if one hand is sin, the other is self. And and uh, you just look at these characters like the Pharisees who they had it all together. But they were so far, they, they were so oriented away from light and love that, that they were in the end willing to murder Christ. And then you've got these tax collectors and sinners, uh, those who were behind the hedges and on the street corners. That's describing homelessness and addiction mm-hmm. and, and, and prostitution. All that. And what are they, if they're oriented towards Jesus, then Jesus can say to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. Well, does that mean she'll never screw up again? No. It mm. means she, she's found mercy and she's going to cling tight no matter how many times she screws up. So I, that's kind of how I've come to see it. And wow. I, where I want to just beat myself up because I've not reached perfection, it's like, well, the, you know, the, if, if, if every time you fall, you, your instinct becomes clinging to him instead of hiding from him then mm. what a great process that is. Yes, yes. We, we wow. seem to go through life not acknowledging our presuppositions. Yeah. Where uh, I, I just remember talking to a pastor about his struggles, and he was so upset with himself because he lived in a big city with 
billboards that had uh, scantily clad women. And he he was so upset because he would look at them and be like, that's hot. And I, re- I remember in the conversation thinking, oh, so you're going to go home and jerk off thinking about it. And he said, no, I don't do that at all. I pray to God and say, God, help me to love my wife better. And then I go home and I, I spend time with her. And I was like, wait, what, what's the problem here? And he, <laughs> he said, he said, well, I am in my mid thirties. I kid you not. This is what he said. And I should be beyond this. And, I, and I, I said, well, wait, so if you didn't see those billboards and think that's hot, what would you do? And he said, I would get so much more done for the kingdom. And I said, oh, I, I said, cringe oh. moment. I said, oh, so if you never saw those billboards and thought that chick's hot, you would be a bigger workaholic pastor than you are. You wouldn't cry out to God to love your wife better and go home and love her better? Well, I can see how God would want to fix this problem. Yeah. It's needful. It's needful. So it was this presupposition that I'm supposed to be X, and yet that billboard brought him to Y, which was way better than X. Yes. And we just don't acknowledge, oh my gosh, that, that thing brought me to cry out to God and be submissive to his grace instead of my own self-righteousness. Yeah. See, I mean, remember there's this language of the, of, of the exact nature of our wrongs, you know, in step four and five. Right. Right. So what's the exact nature of his wrongs? It was not glad. It was not the urge to glance at these billboards. It was whatever self-will was going on that was driving them to workaholism. Or what, I mean, it's always it's we got to get down to the roots of stuff, right? And yeah, yeah. self-will is not our friend. And no, that's that's why that's why um, you know the idea of powerlessness is so important. Yes. The addiction has, is bigger than me and God is bigger than the addiction. So what will I do? Try harder to beat up the bully or will I turn to the, this God who loves me and who can change the kind of fruit that's happening. So uh, boy, good illustration, Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> uh, excellent, excellent. Yeah. Well, Brad, I hate to say it, but we are coming to the end of our time. Uh, for, I know this episode is going to be oxygen to our audience, our, uh, men and women. Uh, f- for those who would like to follow you or follow up or connect in some way, is there any way they can do that? Um, yeah, they can find me on Facebook or on Instagram or on Twitter. And I have a website, bradjersak.com. Okay. And um, yeah. One of the one of the books I've written, that, a little book, and they might find it helpful, and includes some stories of, of folks who have encountered encountered God um, through the program, even before they became Christians. You know, <laughs> so, uh, many of which even are like, "He just told me, follow me," 
would God say that? I'm like, yeah, he might say something like that. Let me tell you a story, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. So I have a book called In, I-N. Okay. And um, the subtitle is Incarnation and Inclusion, Abba and Lamb. And so it kind of gives a it kind of gives an apologetic for God being able to work beyond the bounds um, that we think of in Christianity, where where Jesus is at work all over the place and in the rooms and so on. So it's called in. In that might be right. encouraging. It's got some good fun stories in it, oh, and it reflects I'm... on Cornelius as an example again. Fantastic! I'm going to order my copy today. Well, thanks. Uh, it has. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your time and your heart with us. My Listeners, pleasure. stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. That was awesome. <laughs> yes, it was. Yes, it was. And I, I, it was. I, I loved your participation in that. I, I thought you guys just, you were a great pair together. I, I got to sit and watch most of that and listen, and it was fantastic. I, you know what? I love, I love, love, love the messiness of true faith. I mm-hmm. really am bored of uh, theological paradigms that can wrap things up so tightly that there's no mess. That, that just smells of lies. When it's all completely buttoned up and buttoned down and there is an answer to everything and it all fits do you know how many corners have to be cut in order to make it all fit? Right. And and I'd love yeah. that I, d- I don't necessarily agree with everything that can be said with the non-buttoned up versions. That's okay, because mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I'm still coloring with crayons. I'm not pretty <laughs> sure. I'm absolutely sure I'm yeah. still coloring yeah. with crayons. And yeah. that... I, there is so much delightful and beautiful gospel truth of God's character to discover. Mm-hmm. And that's so exciting. And when that's scary, then I'm, yeah. I'm shortcutting my own delight. So yes. screw that. Yeah. Screw that. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can have that. But- you, you want the joy of the Lord? You want to enjoy being a Christian? I, I want to enjoy knowing that I don't know what in the hell's going on most of the time, but that no, God is good and loves me so much. That's what I want. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, um, I'm interested to hear what our listeners think of this conversation. I'd love for them to join the conversation, if only by uh, email. And our email, of course, is piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. You can do us a great favor by dropping a line. Or uh, I I think you can probably leave a 
a comment on uh, the Facebook page, if you can find the Facebook page. Um, do We don't have a channel on Slack, do we? Do we have a Pirate Monk? We don't. We don't have a Pirate Monk podcast you're, you're channel on Slack. You're seriously asking me this. That's amazing. <laughs> was that a real question? That wasn't a real question, right? No, no, no. Okay. Uh, but I'm sure there will be conversation among Samson guys who are on Slack. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. Well, my friend, I'm so glad you're back. So, so glad you're feeling better. And, uh, and sounds like you're revved up for the episodes we have in store. We had to cancel a couple while you were so ill and I just didn't have the nerve, uh, or the confidence or at least once the availability to do, uh, the interview just by myself. Yes, you were uh, walking on the beach barefoot with the dog. <laughs> <laughs> so we've had to reschedule a couple of guests who we've missed in the last couple of weeks, but we've got a full I'm sorry, what did you say? Over. I was picturing you in a Speedo walking on the beach <laughs> with the dog, and I was completely distracted. Oh, uh, yeah, well, now just go home and love your wife. I, I think that's how that's supposed to work, isn't it? <laughs> After picturing you in a Speedo? I guess. I don't know. I hope that helps everybody out. <laughs> all right we've probably taken this as far as it needs to go uh, this is probably enough until next week uh, so until then i'm nate and i make me stumble nate <laughs> and we are your pals on the pirate monk The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com. <laughs>